0: Two weeks ago was the final painting uh, fundraiser for our Haiti uh, team going to uh, Haiti in just a few weeks' time, actually. And Ian Dempsey, he went and paid for me to paint. So up here you should see, this is what we were supposed to be painting. And then, like, I have no talent whatsoever, but it it actually turned out not too bad. Uh, They had, no, you're not supposed to clap. That's not the point of this. (laughs) They had a gray option and a yellow background option. The gray option was more manly. I asked for gray paint. And we were seated at the back, and she brought me yellow, so I couldn't bother her again. There were so many others. But then the yellow picture, as you can see up there, the bike wheel was supposed to be in the corner, so I tried to switch back to the gray one. I had a unicycle going for a while, and then my daughter Brittany is on the team going to Haiti, and she came along at the end for cleanup, and she fixed up the flowers a little bit. But this was a very humbling experience. But then I think about it, you know, by showing it to you, deep down, you did what I was looking for, applause. (laughs) Like, I I was really wanting someone to say, hey, that's pretty good, that's pretty amazing what you've done. I bumped into one of my neighbors. He was out walking his dog, and what are you carrying? Well, I had to show him, and I explained what I was doing. He said, that's actually pretty good. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. But we struggle with humility. We struggle with our motives in so many things because we seek the approval of others, and we'll do anything we can to get that approval. And we want to save face, we want to look good, we would rather fool someone and give the appearance of pride and confidence than for them to see the weakness that we have and the needs that we have. So as we continue to study through the book of Philippians, we're examining what a life of fullness is really like. Fullness when we feel empty. And this week we're going to learn that we can have a life of expanded influence and personal joy through living a life of humility. Now, we've already learned that living the full life means that we have to live a life of connection, developing relationships that unite us together and, and build us up spiritually. So Philippians 1, verse 3 was the main verse in that message. And then last week, we looked at Philippians 1, 21. If I live, it will be for Christ, and if I die, I will gain even more. So if the purpose of your life is to live for yourself, then you aren't going to understand today's lesson. But for those of you who grasp the truth that we presented last week, and you realize that our purpose in life is to advance the gospel, then your agenda doesn't revolve around you And you're living a life of humility, and you'll realize that that becomes possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. So living a full life, living a life of purpose and realizing that it's not all about you can move you toward humility and away from pride. But that all sounds easier to do than it is. Like Benjamin Franklin said this, he said, There is perhaps no natural passion so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive and will every now and then peep out and show itself. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I would probably be proud of my humility. And it's so true, isn't it? It's like the guy who was actually given the humility medal by his co-workers, and then they had to take it back because he wore it every day, 24-7. So as you read through the book of Philippians, you get the impression that Paul loves the people of Philippi but he's disappointed by one thing. And it seems that they've developed a reputation for bickering with one another. And their joy is being robbed by the craziest reason. So let's look at this together and find out how we can be humble. First of all, we see that there is an elusive principle. So beginning with verse 1, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholehearted with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. So that last verse, I want to keep up there for a moment because that's one that I would like you to memorize this week. It's longer and it's tougher than the one we looked at last week. But I think you're up for it. So just say it. Just quote it together, out loud. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. All right, so that's your motto for this week. In the opening verses, Paul is basically saying, if you get anything out of this church living thing at all, Please get along with each other. Be humble. Don't always be so selfish, so ambitious, so conceited. Put other people ahead of yourself. But one of the telltale signs of maturity in the Christian walk is the ability to think of others as better than yourself. Now, we don't expect this from a two-year-old. We give a two-year-old some leeway. You go to a two-year-old's birthday party, and it comes to the gift opening, and usually there are all kinds of gifts, and the little one is ripping into those, and then eventually the guests decide, I like that gift, I like that toy, and I'd like to play with it. But no, that's mine. No, that's mine. And so we see that come up at an early age, and we may excuse it, in a two-year-old, but we dislike that in an adult. In Matthew 23, verse 12, whoever makes himself great will be made humble. Whoever makes himself humble will be made great. And then in James 4:16, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather God giving me grace than God opposing me. Uh, That's what I want in my life. So here are four types of pride that John Ortberg described in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. And the first form is vanity. And that's the most common form of pride. And vanity is actually described as a preoccupation with one's appearance or image. So that ever happened in your life? Stubbornness is the second one. And that's the pride that shuns correction. It's an inability to stop defending oneself. That you dig in your heels because you must always be right and never wrong. Mm. Even when you're wrong, you, you can't quite admit it to yourself. And then there's exclusiveness. And that's the ultimate pride. That's a belief that others are beneath me. And we say, oh, I'd never do that. But at times, we self-righteously look down at others. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18 about two men that came in to worship in the temple. The first man was a Pharisee, and he enters the temple, and he's praying to God. Thank you, God, for not making me like others who aren't nearly as religious as me. And then the other man was a tax collector, and he basically there. He has humbled himself. He has his face in his hands. He doesn't dare to look up. He beats himself on the chest, and he prays, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner in need of grace. And Jesus commented that it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who left that day right with God. See, that pious Pharisee saw himself as better than others, but he didn't get right with God that day. And the last type of pride is approval addiction. So that's a little bit of what I just did here. An insatiable desire to be approved by others. Like, we just want to climb that ladder of success, and when we get there... We've got to go tell our high school classmates, look what I've accomplished in my life. We just want to get there. We hope that our coworkers will notice the new outfit that we're wearing, or that they'll comment in some positive way about how we look. Or when people wear tight clothing, they certainly hope that some heads will turn and that people will notice, hey, this person's been spending a lot of time in the gym. Why are we so concerned that people think we have everything together emotionally, socially, and physically? Like, Why do we worry so much about what others think of us? Like, I've quoted this before, but one man said, if we knew how often others really think of us, we'd be disappointed at how seldom they actually do. So when experiencing the full life we become less concerned with ourselves and more focused on the needs of others. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 4 together. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So take the focus off yourself. Put the spotlight on others. Paul's pleading with the Philippians to... Basically, set aside their desire for prominence and prestige and to have in their hearts a humble, selfless desire to serve, which is actually the essence of a life in Christ. In Galatians 1.10, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So he's, he's basically explaining what is behind being a servant of God. But if I have to be honest, I have to say that I struggle with this because there's a part of me that likes it when a total stranger gives me a compliment. There's a carnal side in all of us that seeks to win the attention of others and thrives on people being pleased with their actions and our accomplishments. So to be humble is that seemingly elusive principle. But then Paul goes on to talk about the perfect example. Uh, If you have any interest in living the full life, then pay attention to how Paul paints this example of the life of Jesus Christ. Now, the preceding verses actually set the stage for the main part of the passage. And Bible scholars believe that Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, was actually a Christian hymn used in worship in the church. And it Paul inserted it into this letter at this point. And people familiar with it and in this setting would realize that this gives the idea which Paul wants to emphasize, the idea of humility. So beginning with verse 5. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal With God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born as a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, death on a cross. Like, wow. Like If you ever feel like nobody in the world loves you, just read this passage, and you'll realize that someone does. Or if you feel like God doesn't care for you, and he's off in some far-off, distant galaxy, then memorize this passage of Scripture. If you ever think that the God of the universe is so impressed with himself that he'd never associate with commoners, then it's time to pick up your Bible and read these words from the Apostle Paul because it is the gospel. Without Jesus humbling himself and coming to the earth, living a perfect life, dying an atoning death, we would have no assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. See, that sixth verse in the New International Translation says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So Paul begins by saying that Jesus is God, and he became a human being. And no one had more right to be proud. No one had more right to stand up straight with their chest out than Jesus. No one had more right to hold on to his position. Yet he humbled himself and he emptied himself. He became a human being. He left his position in heaven and he became a servant. So just think about it. A baby in a manger born that way, baptized by his cousin in the muddy Jordan River, a carpenter by trade, a wandering preacher. And then the Bible tells us that he was so poor that he had no place to lay his head. Now, I always tell stories about growing up on a farm, and a lot of you have never lived in the country. So maybe you've driven by a grain field as it is getting close to harvest time. And we drive I still drive by them now. We drive by them on the way to Ian and Ruth Dempsey's cottage on the north shore of PEI. Maybe when I'm biking by, I get a better look because I'm not going as fast. But you'll see some of those stalks or heads of grain standing straight up. And people would think, wow, you know, those must be the most impressive ones. But they aren't. A farmer will tell you that they're actually almost good for nothing other than straw because they're empty. There's no grain growing in that. So it's up straight. But then farmers will tell you the ones that are bent over, the stalks of grain that are bent over, they're the ones that are full of beautiful grain. And I was thinking, you know, someone observed that the growing Christian is like a head of grain. The riper we grow, the lower we bend. Like there's no cockiness there. There's just an acknowledgement of who the creator is and who the creature is. And humility is the beginning of that. Back when Muhammad Ali was at the height of his boxing career, he was on a plane, and they were about to take off on a flight. And... He wasn't putting on his seatbelt. So the flight attendant, sir, would you please put on your seatbelt? And he goes, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the attendant quickly replied, Superman don't need no plane. Put on your (laughs) seatbelt. And he quickly did that. So contrast that with the perfect example as Paul goes on to describe Christ by saying, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God even when it caused his death, death on a cross. So he was arrested like a common criminal. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. He was stripped of his clothing. He was nailed to a cross. And this just wasn't any ordinary death, but this was the most painful, visible, memorable, and humiliating death that anyone could ever imagine. That's why in Romans 5, 8, Paul said, But God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us, even though we were sinful. So we think, you know, that's unbelievable. Why? But then Paul goes on to explain that because of the ultimate humility displayed by Jesus in his willingness to die a sacrificial death, something great happens. So look at verses 9 to 11 of Philippians 2. So God raised him to the highest place. God made his name greater than every other name, so that every knee will bow to the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and bring glory to God the Father. Years ago, there used to be a commercial on TV by Fram Oil Company, and they had one of their employees on there, and he was talking about how important it was to have regular vehicle maintenance, change your oil regularly. Then he talked about the fact that their company was superior to all others. And at the end of the commercial, this is basically what the guy said. He said, you can pay me now, or you can pay me later, because they assume that you would eventually end up going to them and using their product. Do you know what this world is coming to? This world is coming to a day when every knee will bow before Jesus and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So Jesus is basically saying you can bow now or you can bow later because when you hear the trumpet sound, it will be too late to admit that you are a sinner and that Jesus was sinless. So if you don't admit that now, it will be too late then. C.S. Lewis said, you get no credit for kneeling when it becomes impossible to stand. So it, on that day, even those who have never confessed faith in Jesus Christ, they're just going to be driven down onto their knees to bow before him. But you won't get any credit for that if you haven't knelt down to him in this life. Now I just need to make a few practical applications as we wrap up. Philippians two verse 12 is the first one, and he says, "My dear friends, you have always obeyed God when I was with you. It is even more important that you obey now while I am away from you. Keep on working to complete your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what does that mean? Like keep on working to complete your salvation. With fear and trembling. I thought that we were saved by the grace of God and not by works. But you know, some people think that the spiritual life is like a rowboat. You do all the work yourself. God has no part in this whatsoever. You just kind of earn your way into heaven. And then some people think the Christian life is like a cruise ship. God does all the work for you. You just lays around and the food is brought to you and you're moving across the water without any effort whatsoever. But the truth is the Christian life is more like a sailboat. You've got to do some work in raising the sail and maybe controlling it a little bit so that you catch the wind, but the wind is the real power that moves the boat. And it in our lives, the real wind is the Spirit of God working in your life. If you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you should feel secure and you don't have to be looking over your shoulder and wondering, oh, oh no, am I saved or not? Questioning whether or not He will come through on His promise. But that phrase, keep on working to complete your salvation should remind us that we need to keep our sail up and that there needs to be a healthy respect and reverence for who God is and the power that he has. And that leads into verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So yes, it's God at work in you. He keeps on working to complete your salvation And then another application is found in verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Do you know what one of the most obvious signs of pride is? It's complaining. It's grumbling. It's not wrong to be honest about your hurts or to graciously debate someone to help find the truth. But most of us mumble and grumble because of our pride. Deep down, we think that we're the center of our universe and everything should be about our comfort and our preferences and who we want to succeed. And we mistakenly think people will hear us because we complain. But the opposite of that is true. And eventually, they're going to just tune us out altogether. So complaining is at the root of pride. John Ortberg again, he said, God's great holy joke about the Messiah complex is this. Every human being who has ever lived has suffered from it except one, and he just happened to be the Messiah. Everybody else at some time in their lives thinks that they are the Messiah. Back when I was in Bible college, we had a course called Practical Ministries, And my father-in-law was actually teaching it. And he took us to every hospital and nursing home in the city to get some practical experience. And we went to the Hillsboro Mental Hospital. And we were gathered with a group of about 15 patients. And this hospital was old. It was just like a scene from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And all the patients, we went around the circle, and they were explaining why they were in the hospital. And alcohol, got a problem with alcohol. And then it got to Chester Bernard, who was from the community I grew up in. He was the worst alcoholic I knew. And he has. I got some trouble with my nerves. But, (laughs) But the director, he said, you know, he was the only one that could legitimately say alcohol. Everyone had an issue with something else. Jesus is the only one that can legitimately claim to be the Messiah. But everyone else, we do it at some point in our lives. So maybe that's why the Bible lists grumbling in the same passage as idolatry, sexual immorality, and testing the Lord. So verse 15, then you will be innocent and without any wrong. You will be God's children without fault, but you are living with crooked and mean people all around you, among whom you shine like stars in the world. You offer the teaching that gives life. So when Christ comes again, I can be happy because my work was not wasted. I ran the race and won. So there are two results that are produced by humbling ourselves. And the first one is actually expanded influence. And that builds on Philippians chapter 1, our responsibility to advance the gospel. And Paul says that in your humility, there will actually be a purity in your life. There will be a blamelessness that will cause you to shine like the stars in the dark world. And here's this follower of Christ who is sitting chained to a guard 24 hours a day. And yet he's pleading for Christians to humbly let their light shine and in so doing advance the gospel. So this is a direct reference to the stars that illuminate the sky at night. And Paul's view was that the unbelieving world is like the darkness, without the light of God. And the Christian's responsibility is to shine like stars in this dark world. And nothing shines brighter than humility. Every Christ follower is to be a light, and when we all come together in this room, it's It's a joy. It's a beautiful sight. But the light actually isn't needed here. The light is needed out there in the world. So let that shine through this week. And then we experience personal joy, verses 17 and 18. Your faith in the Lord and your service are like a sacrifice offered to him. And my own blood may have to be poured out with the sacrifice. If this happens... I will be glad and rejoice with you. In the same way, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, here's Paul. He's uncertain about whether he's going to live or die. He's waiting to have an audience with Caesar to see if he can be freed. Yet the word joy appears more times in these four chapters in the book of Philippians than in all the rest of the New Testament added together. So service and suffering don't rob you of joy or humility. They become the foundation. Every Christian that wants to live the full life must answer this question. Am I here for myself or am I here for Jesus? And Jesus taught that the Christian doesn't ascend the ladder of greatness. You descend the ladder of greatness. That's the story of Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. And because of it, God raised him to the highest place. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit but he gave up his place with God, and he made himself nothing. He was born as a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, death on a cross. Some of you are already Christians, and what he's expecting you to do is pick up a towel and a basin, and you're to get out there, and you're to serve the people in your world. You're to do it with humility. Some of you haven't yet committed your lives to Christ, and he's expecting you to bow down. He's expecting you to pick up his cross and choose to die to your selfish ways and live for him. You can bow now or you can bow later. The choice is yours. Why not humble yourself and swallow your pride and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner.